So in case you haven't noticed, I'm Guy. I, I have to keep to my script, otherwise I'm going to lose my life. Um, and I'm carrying on our series today on the Old Testament characters and how they introduced us to Jesus. Um, I have the great pleasure today of, of talking about Gideon. Um, so I thought we'd look at a, a theme. So Gideon's theme is unlikely heroes. Um, and if we move on to the next slide, we've got some examples of unlikely heroes in pop culture. So hopefully most of you will recognize Frodo, uh, played by Elijah Wood. Frodo is a guy, he's not a guy, he's a hobbit. Um, small, teeny tiny hobbit who is just insignificant. He's of no importance. He lives in a tiny part of their world. Nothing to do with it, anything exciting. He's not strong. He's not wise. He's just a hobbit that likes food, likes alcohol, uh, and likes sitting around all day. It sounds pretty good. Um, and what happens is he inherits a ring, and he has to go off and save the entire world from the deepest, darkest evil. Uh, we have our next example is Spider-Man, a, a young, geeky kid who gets bitten by a radioactive spider and gets special powers. Next example is Captain America. So a guy called Steve Rogers, young, young fella, wants to join the army, can't because he's sick, too, too weak and weedy and sickly. Again, gets special powers. Um, and suddenly he's like the all-American, wonderful, wonderful hero, stands up for justice and, and the American way. And then we have maybe some real-life examples. So, uh, so sadly, we can't all be superheroes with amazing backstories. But so Erin Brockovich, which was a film with Julia Roberts back in the day, um, was an amazing lady who stood up to a very big chemical corporation. Um, she had very little education. She wasn't necessarily special in any way, shape, or form, but she, she believed passionately that they should pay for the fact that they had polluted her entire town's environment, that people were being born with, with issues and all this kind of stuff. And so she stood up to, to the, the corporation and won. Um, true story, amazing story. Not a bad film if you want to watch it. Um, and Gideon stands in this crowd of unlikely heroes. So if we look at the kind of what Gideon was like, there was nothing special about Gideon. Gideon was just a guy. And in his time, to be a hero, to be a hero in Gideon's time, you had to be strong. You had to be the fiercest fighter. You had to be the fastest runner. You had to have something special about you. And as we go through today's story, we're going to look at how this ordinary guy, this ordinary man, did some amazing things thanks to his amazing God. So, if we look at the next slide, where is Gideon? So we've heard previously about Moses um, and how he led the Israelites, the newly formed Jewish nation, out of Egypt into the wilderness. We've heard how they wandered around the wilderness for 40 years because of sin. Um, we heard how when Moses died and Joshua took over, he led the next generation into the promised land. And then that brings us to the end of Joshua, where they renew the covenant. So Joshua reminds them of all that God has done for them and all that they owe God. And he then says, and, they, and they, all the elders of the tribes agree and say, right, we're, we're going to follow God. We are going to not worship any other gods. Which leads us nicely into the book of, Ju of, Ju uh, yeah, book of Judges. <laughs> so life for the Israelites in this period follows a very tragic cycle. They rebel very quickly, in fact. The moment Joshua dies, they pretty much fall into rebellion. Um, they, they forget everything they've said, everything that God's done. 
and start worshipping other gods. So the gods of the local communities, gods like Baal, um, which is the god that we're, we're dealing with in the story of Gideon. So what happens is they rebel, and God hands them over to their enemies in the surrounding areas. Um, so they pe- the people of, is, is, of God, the Jewish nation, become oppressed. Um, the oppression lasts for a varying length of time, depending on which judge we're looking at. And then they, the people eventually cry out to God, and God sends some form of salvation, some form of restoration. Sometimes it's a prophet. Most of the time it's a judge. And the judge will deliver these people from their oppressors. So we find Gideon in chapter 6. And the Israelites have been given over to the Midianites for the last seven years. Um, The Midianites are just one of the many tribes that kind of surround the the promised land. Um, And they're described as locusts, both in number. So there's vast numbers of them. And also in the way that they kind of eat or destroy any and all food that the Israelites try to, to grow. We're first introduced to Gideon, and he's in a wine press trying to thresh some wheat. Now, I don't know if that sounds wrong to you. Wine presses are obviously for pressing wine. They're carved. If we look at this next slide, this is a wine press. They are carved into rocks. So it's deep, it's down, and the wine would be pressed in there. A threshing floor, on the other hand, where you would normally do the threshing, which is basically taking wheat and throwing it up in the air so that the wind can blow away uh, the chaff which is the bits of wheat you don't want, the kind of the stalks and the leaves and all that kind of stuff. That would be done in the open air d- so the wind can go. If you're down in a, in a hole, the wind's going to really make your life very tricky because it's not going to blow across and get rid of anything. So Gideon's fruitlessly, in some ways, struggling. Uh, he's really working hard. And this is a picture of how all the rest of Israel is. So we've been told in the Bible that they're living under really tough conditions. Every time they plant anything, the Midianites turn up and take it. Every time they kind of raise livestock, the Midianites turn up and take it. Um, so what we see here is Gideon is basically making the best of a bad situation. He needs to do this so that his family, his tribe, can eat. There's no other way to do it. And so he's hiding while doing what he has to do. And it's at this point that he meets the angel of the Lord, who's come and sat under a tree nearby. I love that little random detail. Just come and sat down, angel of the Lord. Um, so the, <laughs> the angel starts a conversation going, and basically says to Gideon, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now, again, Gideon's response kind of sums up everything that the Israelites are feeling at this point. He says, really, the Lord's with me? But the Lord's forsaken us. Look at the situation we're in. Look where we are. The Midianites have come. They've taken all our stuff. I'm reduced to threshing in a wine press. How is God with us? And the angel, and the angel responds to that. He's going, Go in this might of yours and save Israel. Has not the Lord sent you? Wow. Uh, (laughs) Now, Gideon's response highlights everything that the world would say about Gideon. I'm weak. I'm nobody. I can't do this. It's like, I'm not even important. And the Lord tells him, it's like, I will be with you. And you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Now, Gideon, still not convinced, responds by making just trying to make sure he's understood. He brings an offering, and the angel burns up the offering with a touch of his staff. And Gideon freaks out, like properly freaks out. He's there. I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. <laughs> now, 
that means nothing to me, to be honest. But the Lord responds, peace, do not be afraid. You will not die. So I'm imagining his understanding is if he sees the Lord, sees the angel of the Lord, he will die. Which seems like a good reason to freak out, to be fair. So there he is. He's like, okay, I'm not going to die. And so what he does, he in fact builds an altar to make sure that he remembers this amazing, amazing encounter with God. A little bit later on, God tells him to go and destroy the local altar to Baal, which he does. Um, However, due to being afraid the local, uh, of the reaction of the local Israelites who worshipped at this altar, he and, and the ten men from his household go and do this in the middle of the night. It seems that his, his idea of being scared or his reason for being scared is good because the people then find out who did it and come to kill him. Um, but fortunately, Gideon's father unexpectedly stands up to them all and says, why, why are you here? Don't, don't come and kill anyone. Let Baal fight his own battles. If he's a god, he's more than capable of killing this little man who did this stuff. And so all the people go away, and the, the event earns Gideon the name Jerob Baal, which means Baal, let Baal contend for himself. So how does this parallel with Jesus at this point? What's going on? Well, Gideon is not the kind of hero the other Israelites would expect. He's not the oldest. He's not the strongest. He's not the wisest. He describes himself as the least of his father's household. And he's part of the small and weakest tribe. Jesus was not what the people were expecting. So the Messiah was meant to be a king. The Messiah was going to free his people from oppression. The people of, of Jesus' time looked at the Roman oppression and assumed that the Messiah would come and free them from their Roman captors. Jesus was not that man. Jesus was a carpenter from Galilee. He showed no military brilliance. He was just a normal fella. And there's a challenge here for us as well. Have you ever cried out to God to do something? And in the back of your mind been thinking, don't ask me. I'm not big. I'm nobody. Now, as we carry on through the story, we're going to pick up on this theme again. But things for Gideon got a lot bigger at this point. So all of the Midianites, the Amalekites, the people of the east, crossed the Jordan and camped in a nearby valley. Oh my. Josh, um, Josh? <laughs> oh dear. Gideon has a huge army that's come and invaded the, the area that he lives in. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he told him, that, and so therefore Gideon did, summon all the local tribes. So he summoned the Abzer, Abezerites, we'll go with that, um, with a trumpet. I love the Old Testament for this, by the way. Um, and then sent messengers to other tribes, which is Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. And even as he was doing this, so the Spirit of the Lord is on him. He just wanted to make sure that he was doing the right thing. Make sure he'd, he'd heard God right. So he tested God. He laid out a fleece. And asked God to make sure that dew would only form on that fleece tonight. Drought, around it, the, dry, the ground would be dry, the fleece would be sopping wet. And God did it. The next night, the reverse. I want the ground to be sopping wet and the, the, the fleece to be perfectly dry. And God did that. Gideon's army then made camp at a spring near to the enemy army. He had about 32,000 men with him. And God tells him it's too many men. The glory must be God's alone to send away everybody that's scared. 22,000 men leave. 
That's a lot of scared people. So you're sitting there, you've got about 10,000 soldiers left. And God goes, nope, there's still too many. What's going through Gideon's head at this point? Okay, too many. Right, how are we going to separate these last 10,000? I want you, God says, to take them and see how they drink. Okay. If they kneel down, put them in one group. And if they lap the water like a dog, put them in another group. <laughs> As you can see, lapping the water like a dog is not the most dignified. Um, it's probably not the, the best kind of tactical way of drinking either. Y you drop your guard. Uh, I don't know if anyone's ever seen a nature program where animals go to drink at, at the uh, oasis or the lagoon or the river or whatever, and they get attacked. Drinking is a very vulnerable time, especially if your head is down and you're not able to react very well. Um, so here we are, 300 guys chosen because they drink like a dog and weren't afraid. Not exactly the best way in the world to pick an army. Now, again, I'm not a military leader, but that wouldn't be my way of picking a, a group of elite troops to go and take on a vast enemy army. Now, an interesting parallel is Jesus did a similar thing, not choosing people how they drank, but he chose a, a, a small bunch of unlikely heroes. If you look at the characteristics of the 12 disciples, would you pick them, really, to reach the world? Uneducated, corrupt, short-tempered, the list goes on. Very few of the, 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 the kind of details about them are actually positive. Um, they were just a bunch of guys and God worked amazing miracles through them. And then we look at ourselves. God has chosen each and one, every one of us to carry on this work today. We join a, a long list of very unlikely heroes to basically reach the lost and bring back everybody in the world to relationship. Each one of us has been chosen. How awesome, how amazing is it to have been chosen by God? But it is important for us to realize that, or remember, it's not because of who we are and what we can do. It isn't your ability to befriend anyone, your incredible wit or intellect. It isn't how rich you are or how, how talented. God works through the most unlikely people because the glory is his and his alone when we succeed. And excitingly, he sees the value in every person on this planet and it isn't what the world values. God values our faith and our humility. So let's get back to the story. God knew Gideon. So he told Gideon to take his 300 guys and down and, and to the vast enemy army. But he told him that if Gideon was afraid, he should go with his servant and listen to what the Midianites were, were saying. True to character, Gideon was afraid. Quite sensible, as we've adjusted. There are lots and lots of enemy armies. There's 300 guys who are not very well qualified. So he goes down and he hears a Midianite talking about a dream that the Midianite had had. He also hears the interpretation of this dream. All of it confirms what God has told Gideon, that Gideon has handed the, the Midianites into his hand. Encouraged, Gideon leads the 300 men against the army. They sneak down to the enemy position. They surround the enemy. And at the signal from Gideon, what do they do? They blow on their trumpets, they shout, and they wave their torches. 
There's no attacking. There's no kind of violence. They just go crazy. Lots and lots of shouting. Lots and lots of waving. Lots and lots of blowing. And the vast Midianite army, men and animals beyond counting, we're told, they hear the trumpets, they hear the t- see the torches, and they turn on each other. The Midianites attack each other because God has given the victory to, to Gideon. Many of the army die, the rest of them flee. Gideon quickly sends messengers to local settlements to ensure that the enemy is completely destroyed. They capture and kill several of the enemy kings and princes. And when it's all over, the Israelites ask Gideon to rule over them. He refuses, telling him that the Lord alone will lo- rule over them. After this, they enjoy 40 years of peace. But as soon as Gideon dies, the Israelites return to their worshipping of other gods. So how does this parallel with Jesus? Well, God's unlikely heroes pulled off an amazing victory through faith. There's no way this plan should have worked. And it isn't just Gideon's faith. The 300 other guys there needed to believe just as much that God had given them the victory. Otherwise, there's no way on earth they would follow such a crazy plan. Tactically, Gideon should have taken his 32,000 guys, stuck them on top of a hill, and hoped that that would be enough to to fight off this vast army. No commander is ever going to send away his entire army the night before a battle. What would you be thinking if you were one of those chosen 300, as you see 30 odd thousand people walking away from your army. (laughs) But Gideon demonstrated these characteristics that I've mentioned already that God prizes most highly. He had faith and he had humility. I'm not entirely sure that Gideon ever really knew why God chose him. But Gideon repeatedly seeks confirmation. Have I heard correctly? Is, Is this really a sign from an angel? That confirmation is not a problem. Because when he gets it, those characteristics, the faith, the humility, lead him to obedience. No arguments, no questions, no indication that he thought he knew better. Just simple obedience. Wow, how challenging is that? It's okay to test God, but make sure that when you know you've heard from him, you act. So when you think about the faith it would need to send away two-thirds of your army because they're scared, and then you think about the faith that you hear that God wants you to send away everyone that doesn't drink like a dog, and there's a second really strong theme. God's plan is not always our plan. God's way is not always our way. God has a plan, but he hasn't revealed it all to Gideon. Gideon at this point has a promise from God that he will deliver Israel through him. He has 300 guys, all armed with trumpets. It really does sound like the start of a bad joke, but God was with him. Victory and 40 years of peace were given to the nation of Israel because of Gideon's obedience. Sadly, oh no, not sadly, the restoration of Israel and the revival came because Gideon humbled himself and obeyed God. But the salvation only lasted 40 years. Israel continued in her cycle of of rebellion, oppression, crying out, and then God saving. But what the story does do is it highlights God's desire to be with his people, to be in relationship with his people. It highlights that God 
and only God has the power to bring about this restoration. And that God's plan on the face of it looks crazy. So if you think 300 men against an army of nuts, think for a second about how nuts it is that God then chose to send one man to save the entire world. God's plan for Jesus required the same humility, the same faith from that one man. But it is crazy squared. The, wha- the idea that one man could fix everything by himself. And but, but the way to fix it was to allow himself to be executed. Uh, the only way that works is through strategy of humility and faith. At the start of Gideon's story, we see a, a man in a nation that had, been, had everything stripped away. We see the parallel as God became man and gave up everything. He became an illegitimate child, socially unacceptable. He was from a town mocked by the educated and privileged. He He suffered persecution from a young age where a local king was trying to kill him because he threatened the king's position if he was allowed to live. And in spite of all this, Jesus lived a life sinless, humble and faith filled, only doing what the father had asked him to do. And when you include what he was asked to do, he even went to the cross. A death so shameful, so painful. They had to invent a new word for how much it hurt. Excruciating. And Jesus, even Jesus had his moments where, like Gideon, he had to ask to make sure it was the right thing to do. You take the example of the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus sat there weeping, well, sweating blood because of how stressed he was asking is there any other way i really don't want to have to die nobody wants to have to die i don't want to do this but your will be done i'm in complete obedience i have complete faith this doesn't sound fun jesus obedience is amazing and he knew that he has to go through it in order for, for, for god's plan to work But in some ways worse than the excruciating pain was the fact that he was separated from the Father for the first and only time in creation. From the the very, very beginning of time to the very end, he knew what it was to be separated from God. He's there alone on the cross with the weight of all the sin of the world on him. Jesus died and his enemies thought they'd won. The Son of God was dead. God has failed. But no. On the third day after the crucifixion, Jesus rose, victorious from the grave. He paid the ultimate price and opened the door so that man's relationship could be restored forever. This is the biggest difference between Gideon's victory and Jesus. Gideon's victory was temporary. Jesus' victory was complete. All we have to do now is respond. Are we ready to be one of God's unlikely heroes, to follow God's plan wherever it may take us? Jesus' death and, res- death and resurrection has made a way for each one of us to know God and become part of his family. All we need to do is ask. We don't have to be good or strong or clever. We don't need to be special or holy. All we have to do is ask. Now, if you've never asked, then please don't wait. Find someone you trust who is a Christian. If you came with one, that's great. Otherwise, speak to me, speak to Matt, speak to a leader here, and we'd all be delighted to pray with you.
But the challenge to us all is are we ready to be unlikely heroes? Are we ready to step out for God and follow his crazy plans?